Hey everyone, Hector here. Before we start the podcast, we wanted to take a moment to thank our listeners. The support coming from you guys has been incredible. You've been commenting and sharing, making us one of the top iTunes podcasts and number one in the film and TV category. We put a lot into making the show and it's gotten such a great response. And for that, we want to thank you. Now, on with the show. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, guys. I'm your host, Hector Navarro. And as always, I am so happy to be sitting in the recording booth at Nickelodeon Animation in Burbank, California. My guest today is an animator, painter, writer, director, character designer, illustrator, and creator who, along with his wife, Sandra Akiwa, brought us the Nickelodeon show El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera. He also co-wrote and directed the incredibly unique animated feature film, The Book of Life. It is my genuine pleasure to talk to today Mr. Jorge R. Gutierrez. <laughs> They're gonna tell me to no. either calm no, down or like enough with the cursing. <laughs> exactly. Tell us what your childhood was like. Uh, well, I'm originally from Mexico City. I like all kids. I was obsessed with uh, cartoons and movies. And when when I was nine years old, my father said Mexico City is too dangerous. Yeah. There's too much crime. It's too insane. Everybody we knew started getting robbed. So it was it yeah. was like getting closer and closer. And he said, I need to take the family somewhere safe where my children can play outside and mm-hmm. there will be no crime. And for some reason, he decided, <laughs> I'm going to move the family to Tijuana. <laughs> so at nine years old, we go to Tijuana. And back then, you know, this is, this is I'm, I was born in 1975. So mm-hmm. this is roughly in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Mexico hated people from Mexico City. Because they were oh, considered very arrogant. Sure. The mm-hmm. Chilangos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we get to Tijuana, and the first thing I see is a kid written on a white wall with red paint that to me looked like blood. <laughs> it said, be a patriot, kill a Chilango. Oh, my gosh. So at nine years old, I was like, what? What, what is this? That's a culture shock right <laughs> it there. It was That's very crazy. much a culture shock. Wow. Uh, and what a lot of families in, in Tijuana do middle-class families, mm-hmm. is they want their kids to learn English. Mm-hmm. And so we would cross the border every day to go to school. Wow. And there was a school bus waiting for us, and it was like a little Catholic school where we were supposed to learn English. And so every day I crossed the border. And so for me, seeing all the sort of stuff they sold at the border, all the cartoons, that's that was my TV. I got to see like, whoa, that's really popular. Who's that Bart Simpson guy? Yeah. And like slowly I started sort of, I didn't speak English, so I would watch cartoons in English and I would try to figure out what they were saying. So they they were my best friend. And, you know, if you go to school in the U.S. and after school you go back to Mexico, that means you have no friends yeah. from school at home. Yeah. So TV was my friend. Yeah. And so I would just watch lots of movies, lots of cartoons. And my weapon to meet people was drawing. So I changed schools a lot. And the first thing I would do the first day is I would look around and take out paper and start drawing and that's how i that's how introduced myself that was that's, my thing and bullies were like can you draw me beating you up <laughs> <laughs> what a weird form of bullying yeah i'm not gonna beat you up but just draw me beating you yeah. up i'm too tired i'm lazy i'm not gonna do it that's hilarious what kind of stuff was there anything that stuck out like like uh you mentioned bart simpson and that, that just makes me think of those bart simpson piggy banks they were oh, on yeah, the, you yeah, know bart, on the sanchez. Side. bart sanchez that's so right I, I remember bart sanchez before <laughs> and then watching the simpsons and going when's bart sanchez gonna show yeah. up <laughs> 
<laughs> Why is he Who speaking are these English? Guys? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was there anything else you were watching? Was it uh, American TV? Was there anything on in Mexico that that was some stuff that you really loved? TV or movies, cartoons? Well, anything? Popeye was huge for me. Yeah, uh, because you didn't need to know the language. It was sort of pantomime. Mm-hmm. It dealt with you know I love machismo, so it dealt with <laughs> sort of this idea that as long as you fight people bigger than you for something greater than you you can win the love of the girl of your dreams. Yeah. So for me, it was like, Popeye's Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I loved Popeye. And he, you know, he looked all messed up. And I, I was like, yeah. oh, I look, that looks like my uncle. Yeah. And so I love Popeye. And then I also loved, in Mexico, they showed Japanese animation. Because oh, yeah. licensing was really cheap. Absolutely. And so I grew up with lots of anime. Yeah. And I remember Astro Boy and Gigantor and all these shows were, were pretty big for me. Uh, and then I remember in high school, my, you know, Sandra, who I ended up marrying, giving me a tape, a VHS tape of Ren and Stimpy, because I never had cable. When she gave me that, she said, you're going to love this. And it just, my brain exploded. Well done, Sandra. Nice. Yeah. That's great. And that's so, when you knew, you're the girl of my dreams. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I have to marry this girl. <laughs> that's amazing. So that was your first taste of Ren and Stimpy, the first, one of the first Nicktoons, which is yeah. amazing. And then years later, you ended up working for Nickelodeon. That's so Well, cool. and I remember seeing the box and, and seeing the Nickelodeon logo and yeah. going, this is the type of stuff they've been showing on that channel. I need to get that channel. <laughs> What kind of kid were you growing up? I was kind of a kind of a bad kid <laughs> in that I like what I thought, which is obviously I'm teaching the opposite to my son now, <laughs> but I liked standing up for the little guy. Yeah. And sometimes that might have not been the best way to do it. Sure. So if a bully was sort of picking on someone, I would just sucker punch the bully. <laughs> so I was the kid always yeah. getting in trouble for fighting. Yeah. And I, I had this like thing in me for injustice. So I really wanted to even things out. Yes. And so because of that, I got kicked out of a lot of schools. <laughs> and ultimately, I was a terrible, terrible student. But then I went to CalArts. I went to film school. And then I became like a super nerd. And I was, you know, really good grades and all that stuff. Yeah. But I was a kind of a disaster. And my parents at that point were saying, you, you know, you're going to really struggle if you keep this up. Sure. And my dad kind of said, if you can get into the hardest school to get into for animation, then I'll, I'll let you study it so that was his way to get me out of doing cartoons wow and it kind of backfired (laughs) that was his kind of oh because he thought this is be impossible yeah you'll never get in and wow that's amazing so is that was that kind of your parents reaction was like yeah i think he figured out like you you get motivated when people tell you you can't do something Mm. so i'm going to challenge you in all these ways all this reverse psychology yeah and it worked and it kind of worked. that's (laughs) amazing you got me dad yeah What was Cal Arts like? It was kind of crazy. It was one of those places where my art teacher in high school hated me. Um, and so I was kind of told, you'll never get in. And I was drawing things I thought, well, this is the hardest you know, animation school to get into. And this is yeah. the, the school where all these Disney guys and Warner Brothers guys went, I'm going to draw the things that I think you need to go to that school. Yeah. So I drew Mickey Mouse and you know Bugs Bunny, like whatever I thought. Oh, this is what the Americans want to see. Yeah. And then I took a portfolio with my paintings of all the stuff I love about Mexico. So it was like Mexican wrestlers and Day of the Dead and Chupacabras and all this stuff. But in my head, that was an animation. That was different stuff. Wow. And so I had two portfolios. I get in line. Uh, I went to the experimental animation program because 
I looked at who graduated from each department, and mm -hmm. I adore Henry Selleck. Mm -hmm. So for me, Nightmare was like probably my favorite animated movie. So I said, I want to go where that guy went. Yeah. Peter Chung, the creator of Ian Flux. So all these cartoons that I was like, I want to go where they went. So the guy reviewing portfolios is named Jules Engel. He worked for Disney and UPA, UPA like living legend. Yeah. A Hungarian Holocaust survivor. Super tough. He looks at my portfolio and he looks at my cartoon drawings and he just goes, this is crap. <laughs> crap. I was 17. Right? Crap. Crap. And then he looks at the one I thought was the best drawing, like the one I like did 20 times just to get it just right. Yeah. And he goes, do you think this is funny? Um, yes, Mr. Engel. <laughs> it is not funny. <laughs> it is crap. And then he said words that just got tattooed in my soul. He said, you're not an artist. Wow. You're a copy machine. Wow. All you're doing is showing me things you like. You have no voice. I see nothing in you. I was 17, right? That's so, brutal. It was disastrous. Like, wow. closes my portfolio. And I felt like that's my whole career, my future, everything. Hands it to me. I walk away, and I was so sad that I walked away really slow. Mm -hmm. And the universe took mercy on me. And my painting portfolio was left at the table. Yeah. So he goes, hey, sad guy, come back. You forgot this. <laughs> and he opens it, and his eyes exploded. And so I, I, he says, come back. Why are you not showing me this? <laughs> and so I, I, he goes, what is this? And I tell him, well, it's about two Mexican wrestlers and their brothers. And whoever wins becomes a champion, but they love each other so much, they don't want to win. So they're both trying to lose the fight. And he goes, that's, that's a story. That's a short. Yeah. And then he's like, what's this other one? And he was like, these mariachis. Uh, skeleton mariachis and tell them, well, these guys were supposed to play at a wedding and they died and their skeletons still went to the wedding to play, but they scared everyone. <laughs> and he's like, this is storytelling. This yeah. is... <laughs> so at the end of it, I just pitched him every painting had a story. Yeah. And he said, this is your voice. This is who you are. You're not showing me things I've seen before. You're showing me part of the world I've never seen on a TV and I've never seen in a movie screen. If you can make this go up yeah. I will let you into the school. But you have to swear to me <laughs> that you're not going to draw all the stupid stuff you showed me first. <laughs> so I got in when I was 17. Wow. And my parents obviously didn't have enough money for me to go. Uh, I had enough money to go for 0.8 of a year. <laughs> so I went to the school and I figured, that's enough. Yeah. I will learn everything that needs to be learned in that year. I was going to take four years worth of units in one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're supposed to do a short every year. So I said, I'll do four. And so my, my girlfriend, Sandra, at the time was in Tijuana. Mm -hmm. And I was so in love with her that I told her, I'm not going. I'm going to stay so I can be with you. And oh, like, hey, what are you doing? I know, I know. This story has so many ups and downs. And like a smart Mexican woman, <laughs> she said, if you don't go to CalArts, I'm going to break up with you. So I love Sandra. As I she was her. crying, right? I love her. I yeah. was like, oh. So I, I go to CalArts and I would go visit her every two weeks. Mm -hmm. I killed myself in school it sounds brutal by the way in case people don't know in case there's young people listening right now yeah and they have no idea what what you just described <laughs> would be like this program where you're doing four shorts in a year like that's yeah. that's physically impossible it sounds like it was i i ended up doing two years in one year yeah and i almost died and yeah. the school said we'll give you a full scholarship <sighs> so i ended up doing my degree in three years at that point, the Mexican government saw all the work I was doing, and yeah. the Arts Council in Mexico said, we'll pay for your master's degree. 
but you have to promise <laughs> to uphold Mexican culture. That's and I was like, that's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> This is amazing. So I did six years uh, of wow. CalArts. And, I, and the, the biggest lesson I learned was because I was there so long, I got to see what happened to people after they went to school. Yeah. And the reality of just because you're a good student doesn't mean you'll get hired. Absolutely. And just because a studio is hot right now, they might not be hot you yeah. know, later. Because I, I was there when 2D died in feature animation. Yeah. So it was, it was being there for those six years. And I realized, honestly, when I got there, I was probably the least talented person. Uh, because there's so much talent in a place like that. Like yeah. every school who has that one kid who's good, it's all those kids. Everybody's so good. And for me, it was, okay, I'm, I'm come to terms with the fact that I'm not the best, but I'm going to beat everybody at working hard. That's yeah. the one thing I can control. I can yeah. control how much talent I was born with. I can control sort of my natural abilities, but I can control working hard. And so that was it. That was my weapon. Where did your love of Mexican folk art come from? You know, it was interesting. Uh, when I was in Mexico City, people looked down on that stuff. It was like, really? is this for the poor people or for tourists? Wow. Right? So it was that. very looked down on. Yeah. And sort of this adoration for things from the US, things from Europe, mm -hmm. things from Japan, mm -hmm. especially in pop culture. Mm -hmm. No one was looking to Mexico. It was like this uh, malinchismo, they call it in Mexico, right? Yeah. Where you, you discredit your own culture because you feel inferior. And my family, to some extent, was like that, too. We didn't have any Mexican stuff in our house. It was all like, here's, you know. Really? Yeah. It was like this shame for, yeah. oh, Mexico is, 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 is for poor people. Sure. So when I moved to Tijuana, you sort of don't appreciate what you have until you lose it. And so in Mexico City, there's all these amazing things that I've never gone to. But when we moved to Tijuana and we would go there for Christmas or, or vacation, we started going to all those places. Yeah. And I sort of fell in love with Mexico. And so I started buying all that stuff and and I kind of became obsessed with it. And my parents saw it with different eyes too. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I kept saying like, why, why can't we love the things that reflect us? Why do we have to only love things that don't have anything to say about who we are? Yeah. And so that became my, my thing. I became really upset. It became sort of my muse. And then as a lover of Mexican art, I would see that Diego Rivera did the same, Frida Kahlo did the same. All these great artists yeah. were basically saying, yes, European influence is fantastic, but we need to look at ourselves and we need to look at those who came before us in our country to inspire us. It's Absolutely. our roots. Absolutely. And so that stuff was always considered very serious or very sort of educational. Yeah. And so my goal was, how do I make it fun? How do I make it exciting? How do I make the audience feel like a kid when he walks into a toy store or a candy store and they get overwhelmed by all this stuff they yeah. want? How do I do that with my culture? Again, I'm a kid in Mexico and I admire Batman and I admire Spider-Man. Yeah. And I go, why can't I admire someone who under the mask looks like me? Yeah. Because none of those guys look like me. Yeah. And, you know, I would watch Super Friends and I would go, well, Maybe the twins are Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> the Wonder Twins? Well, yeah. kind of. They're aliens. They then, were a little browner, but they're... Yeah, yeah. okay, great. And, and same thing with, you know, with Star Wars. It was like, well, yeah. maybe Chewbacca is Mexican. <laughs> he's the closest we have. Chewie. Yeah, Chewie. I know lots Chewie. of Chewies. Chewie. He's good with... He's a mechanic. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's loyal. <laughs> You did character design stuff for Chalk Zone. Was that your first Nickelodeon gig? Yeah. So I graduated from CalArts. Yeah. 
because I did a CG short, which Book of Life is basically based on. Yes, Carmelo. Uh, right? Carmelo. Mm-hmm. I got sent to every studio in town <laughs> to pitch a feature version, which is Book of Life. And everybody told me the same thing. You're just some dumb kid out of school. We're not yeah. going to give you a movie. Who the hell wants to see a movie about, you know, dying Mexicans? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and number three, we're looking for talking funny animal movies. Which, <laughs> again, this is 16 years ago and we're still making those. Yeah. Uh, so... I I got rejected everywhere, and at that point, I got offers to work as a CG animator, doing layout, previs, or back then it was just called layout, Mm -hmm. uh, lighting, like all these CG things. And when I would look at the directors that I admired, I would look at their sort of the ladder it took for them to get to where they were. And I saw, well, if I go into this, I'll never get there. If I go into this, I'll never get there. Yeah. Because I'm from Mexico. The way it works is you graduate from school, the government gives you work visa for one year. And if in that one year you can't find someone to sponsor you, you get deported. Yeah. (laughs) So my fear, you know, while my friends were like, "Mm, do I go to Pixar? Do I go to Disney? I need to work right now. I don't want to get deported. (laughs) So our motivation was very different. Very different. That's a very powerful motivation. You don't want to get deported. That's incredible. (laughs) And my fear was I'm going to be the best animator working as a taco stand guy in Tijuana. (laughs) Like, I'm going to know how to do all this stuff that just does not get done over there. Yeah. So all these job offers were coming in for me to do that stuff. And I said, I want to make my own stuff. I want to create my own stuff. Yeah. So I learned Flash. After spending three years learning CG, I spent two weeks learning Flash. (laughs) And I worked with a a teacher at school and a friend, Roman Laney, who became the art director for uh, El Tigre. And we did this tiny little short. Uh, on Flash called El Macho versus the Mariachis of Doom. <laughs> and after I did that, uh, we put it online and it got 20,000 views in one night. This is the year 2000, so it would be like 2 million views. Oh my God, that's like that's like pre-internet basically. Yeah, yeah, year pre-internet. 2000? Yeah. Hamster dance was the biggest thing at that time. <laughs> like, that's incredible. So the next day, I get a phone call from Sony. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you were an intern here? Because while I was in school, I got to do internships and Great. I did an internship on Stuart Little animating, oh. you know, little CG mouse. That's so cool. That's great. And I was so excited to work on that. But I never met, you know, I was excited because the director had directed The Lion King. Mm-hmm. The DP was Guillermo Navarro, who won an Oscar for Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And the writer was uh, M. Night Shyamalan. This is right when the Sixth Sense had come out. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to meet three of my heroes. Never met them. <laughs> the animators never met any of those people. And, and that's kind of where I learned, well, if I'm an animator in a CG movie, the story's been figured out. The design has been figured out. Yep. I'm just animating. That's when I decided I don't want to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the creation part. I want to be in the room where things get designed and things get thought out. So I turned down all those jobs. My wow. my father almost, you know, killed me. Oh, wow. And I remember uh, Lucasfilm, I got an offer to work on episode one. What? And this is before we knew. Oh, episode one was going to be good back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was like, before any of us Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we knew about Jar Jar, before we knew anything. <laughs> and I remember the recruiter telling me, you're turning down this job? Yeah. And I'm like, I want to do my own stuff. And yeah. I know if I go there, and it's not going to happen. And she goes, you will regret this the rest of your life. <laughs> wow. Was, so, that, was that a tattoo on your soul or not so much? No, that was, just that was like a, a Sharpie okay. on my shoulder. <laughs> and then opening night, episode one, right? Jar Jar comes out. <laughs> I was the only guy in the theater going, <laughs> No regrets. <laughs> so um, I, I turned down all that stuff. Yeah. Sony offered me. They said we want to buy your cartoon. Mm-hmm. We buy. We want to buy twenty four episodes. We'll give you a work visa. 
And I thought, this is the greatest country on earth. They yeah. just pay you to do whatever you want. So they said, uh, congratulations. You get to write them. You get to direct them. Yeah. You get to do the voices. You get to do the music, the backgrounds, the sound effects. <laughs> and the more jobs I listed, the more excited I got. I yeah. was like, this is like going to school and getting paid. Yeah. And so we, we worked on that for a year. And I was, I was uh, the happiest person in the universe. And then one day... <laughs> <laughs> Post 9-11, because I don't know why after 9-11 all these dot-coms went, went bad. The guy who ran the division comes in crying. Mm. And they put us all in a room, and they say, we've you know, we spent $40 million. We're shutting down the division. Everybody go back to your desk and grab. We're going to delete all the hard drives at three. Grab whatever you think you deserve. What? So out of this room of 70 people, you know, some are crying, some are angry. I was the only guy with a giant smile. <laughs> I run back to my office. I always live right next to where we work because I hate driving. Yeah. So I call Sandra and I'm like, Sandra, bring two shopping carts. <laughs> we deserve everything. <laughs> and like a good Mexican wife, she didn't even ask. She was like, got it. Okay. Click. <laughs> Five minutes later, Sandra shows up with these two giant, like smart and final <laughs> Sam's Club shopping carts. And we took computers, we took tablets. <laughs> I was like, I deserve everything. We, we, feel, and we were like Haitian refugees as yeah. we were walking out. And the security guard looks at it and goes, good for you. <laughs> and he grabs a stapler and he sticks it in there. And that's how we started our animation studio. Wow. And so after that, we set up shop uh, in our apartment in Culver City. Mm -hmm. And I started doing freelance for Chalk Zone. Chalk Larry Zone. Huber was one of the first people who called me. Wow. Uh, Mucha Lucha, I did a bunch of character that's designs right, for that. Right. The Buzz on Maggie, you guys worked that on? That was yeah. our first job. Yeah. So Flash was kind of our way into the industry. Yeah. Uh, Mucha Lucha was the first Flash show on Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. Maggie was the first Flash show at Disney. And mm -hmm. El Tigre was the first Flash show at, at Nick. So I was like in all three. <laughs> and in a way, that was the thing that allowed us to get into these places. Yeah. And the old timers hated us because, you know, they were like, this program's going to ruin cartoons, blah, 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 yeah, all that stuff. Yep. Now I, it doesn't really matter. I remember that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, in the beginning, it was rough. I sure. mean, there was no overseas studios that could do it very well. Designers like me loved it because things were on model. But then they were on model too much because no one wanted to draw new stuff. Right. <laughs> so it was just puppets. <laughs> El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera. Where did the idea for this show come from? Well, at that point, a producer had put the fear of God into me that <laughs> if you do three pilots and they don't go to series, that's it. And so I had done a pilot at Disney called Pepper the Bull. Mm -hmm. We had another show in development at Warner Brothers. And then El Tigre was number three. Mm -hmm. So we were like, this is it. If this one doesn't go... Third strike. Third strike. And Nickelodeon, uh, our development executive back then was Peter Gal and Rich Magallanes. The way the deal worked was, what's the nugget of your idea? It, yeah. was, it was still very vague, uh, but because we had done enough stuff, there was a lot of trust. And I remember at that time studying, you know, I, I like to study things. So back then I remember studying, okay, what are my favorite TV shows, books, records? Yeah. I would say basically the first album in hip hop is always the best because it's, it's, <laughs> it's the one with the whole struggle to get there. Yeah. Coming out of the gate. Like we made yeah. it. Yeah. And then the second one is terrible because it's like, <laughs> I got so much money and so I don't know what to do. <laughs> 
And same thing with movies, right? The yeah. first movie of a lot of directors is about their struggle. Yeah. Uh, and same thing with books, you know, right? Write about what you know. So the first one is the big one. So I said, Sandra, that's what we need to do. We need to look inside. Let's make this show about us mm-hmm. and what happened to us growing up. And so a big, big thing in my family was I idolized my dad. Yeah. And I idolized my grandfather. They were the two pillars that I had as a kid. Mm-hmm. And they could not be more different. <laughs> my dad is an artist, right? He's an architect. Yeah. And my grandfather was a general in the military in Mexico. And the military in Mexico is a little more complicated than the military yeah. here. <laughs> so as a kid, I would go visit my dad. And he was in an office that had white walls, natural wood desks, this was before computers. So architects just drew. Yeah. And I would go to my dad and he would be drawing a house. And I would say, Dad, can you draw me a robot? And he would go, yeah, put a piece of paper, draw me a perfect robot. Yeah. Hand it to me and keep drawing. And I was like, Dad, can you draw me a dinosaur? And he would do these things in a way that was so easy for him mm-hmm. that I thought he has superpowers. I'd go visit my grandfather, and his, you know, the carpet was red, it was always really dark. Uh, guns are illegal in Mexico, and all his walls were guns. <laughs> in the military, he had a mural behind them of a knight chopping off the head of another knight. Wow. And then he was always on the phone, hushed over. And he was either love talk, like, or super angry whispers. <laughs> so, I, And he would disappear. Like, yeah. He would disappear for weeks. And grandma would say, I don't know where your grandma is. <laughs> and so I thought, he's a supervillain. My grandfather's a supervillain. <laughs> and so because I idolized both of them, my aunts would say, Jorge, when you grow up, are you going to be an architect like your dad, an yeah. artist? Yeah. Or are you going to go into the military with your grandfather? And so that's where El Tigre came from. It was a kid who loves his superhero dad mm-hmm. and his supervillain grandfather, and he has to decide which path to lead. Frida is based on Sandra. Yeah. Sandra growing up, uh, her dad was a surgeon. Her mom was a teacher. She has three sisters, all in medicine. Mm-hmm. And Sandra wanted to be an artist. So mm-hmm. she was the black, black, black sheep of the family. <laughs> and in the show, Frida wants to be in a, in a band. Yeah. Her dad is a, a chief of police, mom's a judge, two sisters are cadets. And so that was the idea for the for the show. It's all the struggles we had to go through. Yeah. Our parents, uh, especially on her side, hated me, so I was a bad <laughs> influence on her. Because <laughs> imagine me going to, you know, a doctor and saying, when we grow up, we're going to be cartoonists. Yeah. Uh, so he hated, hated me. <laughs> and, and my pitch to Sandra was, we can be the Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo of cartoons. Come on. I was like, I'll get super fat. You'll get run over by a train. <laughs> It'll be amazing. You are right. Watching your dad sleep is less boring than TV. Hey, he forgot to take his boots off. He never takes off the bronze boots of truth. He gets all his white pantera abilities from them. Oh, yeah? And those abilities would be... He can run, jump, and fight with super macho speed and strength. And anyone the boot soles touch is forced to tell the truth. Once after eating ribs, I wipe my hands on a dog. Cool! How soon after graduating CalArts were you like, I'm going to make Carmelo, this is going to be a feature. You know, it was one of those things where I put it away, because when people said, you're just a dumb kid out of school, mm-hmm. they were right. Sure. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> give a movie to. Yeah. All right, I need more years. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I need some more years. And, and that's kind of what I learned. I, again, I studied like Tim Burton and, and Brad Bird. Like, how did those guys work their way up? And I said, well, if I do a web show, maybe I can get a TV show. And then 
after a TV show, maybe I'll be ready to do a movie. So that's how I saw it. Yeah. Steps. It was always my dream to make the movie. So when it started to happen, I was terrified because I thought, this is this is the big one. Like, I yeah. think I'm going to die after this because <laughs> <laughs> someone somewhere is going to say, and then he died. <laughs> Check. So it was one of those things where the more I worked, the more confident I got into thinking I can make this. Got it. And people I, I met along the way in my journey not only taught me, I mean, that was one of the big things. I, I tried to learn as much as I could from people who'd been around longer. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, to me, it was like going to school again. And when we ended up making the movie, it was lots of LT Cray people and lots of people from, um, from Sony. And uh, Doug Lindale, who was my head writer on LT Cray, co-wrote the movie with me. Great. So we're kind of a traveling band of, uh, of gypsies that we, yeah. we were stuck together at this point. Um, but it was definitely one of those things where, I mean, it took 14 years to get made. And in my head, I thought, we're going to get this done before I die. So hopefully it's sooner <laughs> than later. So that you can at least see it. That would be yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What was it like developing the story? I've always been obsessed with Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was nine years old, my best friend passed away. Mm-hmm. And when you're that age, I did not get sad. I got angry. Yeah. And it probably one of the reasons I, I would get in a fight so much. And I was really angry with the world. I mean, I obviously didn't understand. And my mom sat me down. And Halloween was obviously getting big in Mexico, mm-hmm. it's hard to compete with Halloween. Like, people dressing up and you get free candy, like, what's better than that? Exactly. So she sat me down and she said, uh, my friend's name is Mauricio, and I dedicated Book of Life to him. Mm-hmm. She said, Mauricio's here if we talk about him. I said, what? what? Yeah. No, Mom, he's dead. She said, no, because we're talking about him, he's alive. So on his birthday, buy him a present. On your birthday, invite him to your birthday party. Mm. Talk about him. Talk about the movies you guys saw together. Talk about everything you guys did, all the jokes you guys liked. Yeah. If you do that, he's with you. If you stop talking about him, if you stop saying his name, then he really is gone. Yeah. And so I grabbed on to that idea, and I grew up with him by my side. I mean, he's here now because we're talking about him, right? Exactly. So eventually, when I I fell in love with Sandra, immediately it was like a movie. We were you know teenagers, <laughs> and I proposed two weeks from the day I met her. <laughs> and she said no, of course. <laughs> so eight years of dating, uh, I said I'm going to propose on Day of the Dead, November second, because I want Mauricio to be by my side. Yeah. So just like the movie, yeah, I uh, laid a trail of candles, and she, <laughs> you know, hired a musician, the trio, because I can't play anything. Uh, and she came <laughs> out, and Mauricio was there, and I got down on one knee, and she said yes. So after that, I, I said I want to do a Day of the Dead wedding because we want to invite. I want Mauricio to be my best man. Yeah. I want to invite all our family members who are no longer here. And so in Tijuana at this point, no one would marry us on that day. Right? All these priests kept saying, like, that's different. You can't make these things. Yeah. So finally, we had to go to the cardinal of Tijuana, <laughs> who looked like this giant Mexican wrestler, who the priest in the movie is based on him. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, I'm not going to marry you that day, but... Why do you want to get married on that day? So I tell him the story, and by the end of it, he's crying. He's like, <laughs> I would marry you on that day. <laughs> so we get married that day, and the party was great. We had it at my mom's house, and it was such a festive night, and I drank a lot of tequila, <laughs> and I could swear Mauricio was there dancing oh. with everybody. So after that, I said, I want to give this to the world. Yeah. This idea 
of Day of the Dead because everybody sees a skull with a sombrero and they know it's Mexico and sure. they know it's Day of the Dead and you know you see it in tattoos and you see and, it in and it all looks cool and you know it, what looks, I mean? cool. it looks cool the art's great yeah. and that surface level art style is beautiful it's great and everybody's on board with it and it's I mean the nugget's very universal which is this as long as we talk about those who are no longer here yeah as long as we tell their stories sing their songs cook their favorite dishes they're, they're with us yeah and if we don't then they're gone and we should remember people in a positive way. Yeah. And remember the good things. Because I see it in Western culture that no one talks about death. And if someone passes away, it's like it never happened. Yeah. And so this it's a very Mexican thing, this idea that we should celebrate people who are no longer here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mexico has a relationship with death that's very different from the rest of the world in that we like to have a reminder that, mm-hmm. that we're not here forever. Yeah. And it's good to have reminders everywhere uh, telling you enjoy your life. Uh, Octavio Paz, who's my favorite poet in Mexico, has this great poem that has a line that says, every Mexican has death in his ear whispering, live. And so <laughs> I love that idea. And so in a time where the news out of Mexico are horrible usually mm-hmm. and very, very sad, I wanted the movie to be a reminder that there's also beauty in Mexico. Coming off of the Book of Life, what was the worldwide response like? The the fan response? Oh my God, it was it, it was funny because you you start promoting the movie mm-hmm. before the movie's done. So I would go to these presentations where you know someone in the crew quit or something went wrong, and then they push you out out of a curtain, and yeah. you're like, everything's going great, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it was exhausting to sell the movie while making the movie. That's that's I think why you need sometimes two or three directors. It's just too hard. But when the movie came out, you know, I have a, a very uh, I love my dad, but we have a, a very interesting relationship. And so when we we did a premiere in Mexico City, and it was supposed to be three theaters, by the end of it, it was 12. Wow. Because it got so packed. And so he was there, and he'd never seen any of it. And he sat down next to me, and so I had my son, me, and my dad. And as we're watching the movie, you know, people are reacting to it, and all the emotional moments, he just squeezes my arm every time <sighs> something important happens. Mm. And by the end of the movie, he goes, this is... This is the best conversation we've ever had. <laughs> and <laughs> again, I, I just lost it. Wow. But that reaction of people, I mean, I, I, I got to go to Taipei and show it there. I got to go to Brazil and show it. I mean, I got to go to uh, all over the world. Great. And to hear people react to it. And it's one of those movies where people are crying and smiling at the end. You know, I kind of felt like Hispanic people, Latin people in general will, will get it. But I wonder, I wonder if... People in other cultures will get it, and mm-hmm. uh, I can honestly say they do. And so that that response and the letters we get, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, people writing about how the movie has allowed them to talk about those who passed away. Yeah. Especially little kids who are like, I know where my mom is now, or yeah. I know where... And I, again, the movie's not religious. It just deals with the reality of, let's not shy away from those who are no longer here. Let's talk about them and let's celebrate them. And so that's been incredibly overwhelming, something I never expected or didn't didn't even think about while we were making the movie. And for me, a lot of the things that the movie has done too is it's sort of being taught in Spanish classes. Uh, It's been like I've been doing lots of interviews for documentaries about Mexico and Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. Like it's become this thing. You know, you hope as an artist to make something that people will remember. 
And I feel that hopefully Book of Life is a tiny seed that we planted that hopefully keeps growing. Has there been a reaction to your work and your career where people are going, I see myself in your work. I see my family in your work. Thank you. This is beautiful. This is great. What has that been like? Oh, it's been very overwhelming. As you can imagine, the letters we get and... I mean, I, and I'm a very emotional guy. So yeah. I, I, I cry all the time. I remember. After, make me cry, Jorge. <laughs> after a book of life screen, screening, uh, these two, they must have been six or seven uh, Mexican girls came up to me. This is in uh, in Washington D.C. And one of them said, "Thank you for making us cool." Yep. And I just come on, burst crying. That's so. And they great. had to like comfort me, like it's yeah. okay, book of life guy. It's okay. We're six, but it's okay, bro, man. And yeah, you're like, hey, you don't understand. It's so this way. I did it. It's so beautiful. And then That's we, great. we just get letters. I mean, social media wasn't exactly as big as now. Sure. But the reaction we still get is these these letters explaining how the shows affected people, and especially people who grew up with a tear who are now parents are going. Yeah. I can't wait for my kid to see this show. That's and crazy, by the way. But people grew up with El Tigre are now having kids themselves. That's great. Well, teenagers love the show, and you yeah. know they're in like mid twenties now, having babies, They're having babies, <laughs> <laughs> and and definitely one of those things where you know you make these things and you can't predict what's going to happen. Sure, they're basically seeds you plant, mm-hmm. and you hope you hope the tree will one day Absolutely. be there when you're gone. And so the response has been very overwhelming, and I can't say we got a lot of hate. Uh, on El Tigre, but we got a bunch on Book of Life, like enough Ooh. of these Mexican movies and enough of these. Really? So I could have predicted these uh, wow. anti uh, anti Mexican sentiments coming from wow. when the movie came from out. When the movie came out, yeah, we would get these letters like, uh, "Why do I want to see a movie about my gardener?" Or get out of here, and from like Chatsworth. Wow, here in California, or or letters that would say. Uh, I like this movie, but it wasn't made for us. It was made for them. <laughs> and you're like, like okay, but you're going to give a pass to literally every other movie ever made. It's, well, and, that's, and, and that's yeah. what's horrible in Hollywood, right? Yeah. Like, if, a, if a Latin show doesn't do well, mm-hmm. the networks go, see? Don't exactly. do Latino shows. Exactly. It's like a movie with robots doing well, and people go, no more movies about yeah. robots. <laughs> it never has, exactly. Uh, you know, I give a lot of credit to Dora. To yeah. me, Dora is the OG of cartoons <laughs> as far as Latin American goes because she was the first. Yeah. Like, imagine millions and millions of little kids who grew up with a Hispanic character being a normal thing. Totally. So, totally. I, I, to me, it was thanks to Dora, we're all here. Are you ready? Do you have a dream project that you haven't had a chance to work on yet that you'd like to in any medium? Well, I, I want to do live-action Mexican wrestling movie. I want to yes. do the, the Citizen Kane of Mexican wrestling movies. <laughs> that hasn't been made yet. It has not been made. That has not been made yet. Uh, so I, I definitely want to do a live-action movie before it's all said and done. And then the movie that I'm developing now is about the border. It's about Mexico and the U.S. Wow. And it's a it's a kung fu space opera. Because I think oh, sci-fi... <laughs> Hang on. It's about the... Okay, but it's a kung fu... Spe- okay, okay. I just got it. Okay, great. So sci-fi, as a genre, is yeah. the best way to talk about the present. So if you do yes. a movie that takes in present day, it's too hard. But if you do it in sci-fi, mm-hmm. then you can really, really discuss those things. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of movies now where 
for example, Zootopia, that handles uh, you know the issues of racism and race mm-hmm. in a kids movie. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I want to do with this kung fu movie. Awesome. Uh, but th- I mean, it, it's been a blast, and that's hopefully, great. hopefully it's for 2020. Uh, okay. Okay. So great. It's going to take a little while. <laughs> I cannot wait. What are some of the pieces of advice that you would want to pass on to people listening right now? The one that I wish someone had told me starting out is that when you and you know Ira Glass mentions this too in, in a different way. And it's this idea that when you start out, you have taste and you have things that you want to do, but you don't have the skills to do it. And a lot of people give up because they don't get what they're seeing in their head and they're not getting to that level. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality is no one stumbles onto this stuff. It's years and years of hard work. And so this idea is lay a brick down every day. And in a week, you'll have a wall. Yeah. In a month, you have a room. You know, in a year, you have a house. In five years, you have a castle. <laughs> but you have to put the brick down every day. <laughs> That's and great, I, guys. And so. I always say, like, the pyramid of success is made of bricks of failure. You learn a lot more from failing than from succeeding. Yeah. So fail fast, fail often, and you'll get good. <laughs> Jorge, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Right. for coming in and talking about your work, man. It has been a pleasure. I'm sure that uh, people are going to be enjoying your work for years to come. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm super honored. I mean, I've seen some of the people you guys are interviewing, so I just I feel very lucky to be among them. So thank you. Well, there you have it, guys. That was our conversation with Mr. Jorge R. Gutierrez. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it with him. Be sure to visit nickanimationpodcast.com for a bunch of great behind-the-scenes stuff, a picture of two of the coolest Mexicans on the planet, me and Jorge, standing side-by-side, thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez-Eberhardt, Kelly Smith, Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures, all of the incredible social media for our podcast is made by Narbe Manassians Sammy Armiger and thanks to the man who works at controls and makes me sound better than I have a right to Manny Grova until next time thanks for listening to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast and keep watching cartoons Cartoons